Uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, 850 years old, took 200 years to build, and it went up in smoke in five hours. And you were probably following it on the news. And, and, but here was the thing that the president of France said just within moments, while they were still putting out the flames, he says, we will rebuild. He says, in five years, Notre Dame will be rebuilt again. And everybody thought, what leadership, what vision, what courage. Except for the architects who said that the plans will take five years alone by themselves by the time we finish with them. No, but here's the thing. If only life was that simple. If, you know, buildings, cathedrals, they can be rebuilt. It's actually not that hard with human ingenuity to rebuild things. They saved most of the precious bits of art. But if only our lives were that simple. If only problems of anxiety or pain could just be fixed. If only ailments in our body or in our mind could just be fixed, and we could say, you know what, we'll sort that out. It might take a few months, but it's going to be sorted. But do you know what? Jesus, one day, when he was walking around Jerusalem, he looked at the temple, which was far grander than Notre Dame, and he said, knock this temple down, and I will build it in three days. And nobody said, what vision, what courage, what leadership? <laughs> they said, he's nuts. Nobody could rebuild this temple in three days. But his disciples, his followers, those on the inner circle, they understood what he meant because he was really talking about himself. And he said, if you knock my body down, he was the dwelling place of God on earth. He was the son of God. He said, knock me down, kill me. He says, and three days I will rebuild this body of mine and I will be back to life again. This is what Christians around the world today are celebrating in their billions, whether they're crammed into cathedrals or churches or chapels or caves or out in open fields for fear of the authorities. They're all saying this, that we believe Jesus is alive. And this is what Christians are celebrating today because the resurrection of Jesus tells us that everything else about Jesus is valid and good to go. It tells us that everything that he achieved through his death on a cross is good for us today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means when we look at what Jesus did, let's look at his next photo. This is one of the early photos from the inside of Notre Dame. And people say, this is remarkable. A burned out shell of a building, yet what is the thing that remains? It's the cross with the sun shining on it through the now burnt out roof. And this is the thing that's lasted for thousands of years, 2,000 years since it happened. Christians still saying, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the cross is my power source. His empty grave is my hope. There's a famous preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon, and he wrote thousands of books. He wrote thousands of things. He preached thousands of sermons. He's one of the most educated, most proficient preachers of, of the whole of history in the UK. And he said, if I was to summarize everything I knew about God and the Bible and everything into four words, it would be this. Jesus died for me. And this is what Christians celebrate today. And if, if, you don't, if you're not a Christian here today, I want to invite you, perhaps by the end of today, you could put your own hope into those four words that Jesus died for me. Now, we're going to look at uh, some, some things that Jesus said from Luke chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses of the Bible. 
We've been doing a series on the servant songs of Isaiah, which were prophetic predictions that were made about Jesus before he came, 300 years before. And some of those are referred to as songs. They so accurately describe the life and work of Jesus that they stand out in that whole massive book of Isaiah and tell us about Jesus and who he's going to be. Now, Jesus quotes one of these songs himself in Luke chapter 4. So we're going to read that one today. And we're going to read from Luke chapter 4. He went to Nazareth, Jesus, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It was quite a moment. It was the opening of Jesus' ministry. And he uses this opportunity to read these verses of Isaiah. And he says, today you have seen this come to pass. It was quite a day. Everybody was staring at him thinking, could this be true? I don't know if you ever think about people who have theme songs associated with them. Let me try out on a few. If, if I came onto the stage today and I said, if I started singing this song, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go, who would I be? I'd be one of the seven dwarfs, wouldn't I? I'd be happy or probably grumpy, actually, isn't it? That's probably me. But anyway, uh, how about this one? If I, was, if I was bathing in the waters on a beach in beautiful Florida, and then suddenly I just hear this music start up. Who would I be? We'd be expecting Jaws to be making an appearance right then, wouldn't we? How about... A little bit obscure, but imagine we're in the Hunger Games and I'm walking through the forest. And then I, I hear this whistle call sign. <whistles> Who would we expect to walk out of the woods? Katniss Everdeen. That's right. How about this one? If you saw me running along and I was going, do, 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 do. Who am I? Eric Little. See, some people are so strongly associated with a song. that You can't sing the song without thinking of the person. Now, this servant song of Isaiah that Luke, that, 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 that Luke records for us, that Jesus quotes about himself, it's the song of Jesus. It's the song that he sings. It's the song that he sings to humanity. And it's the song that he wants us to associate in every part with him. It's these verses that are on the screen behind me. The, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what he came to do. And this is the song. Perhaps you know something about Jesus. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a while and, you, and you're still discovering some of these things about Jesus. These people who got baptized, discovering things. Wow, this is what Jesus is like and this is what he does. Those things take years to unpack, a lifetime, an eternity. But today, I just want to take you through those five 
summary points that Jesus makes. I'm not going to spend any time on it because we don't really have very long this morning. But here's the first thing about this song. The first line we read is this, that Jesus is God's choice. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Anointing was the realm of kings. Prophets would lay their hands on kings and pour oil on them. This is saying that Jesus was God's choice, his king, his one. When you read in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about the spirit of the Lord coming on people, it didn't happen very often. Just occasional people for occasional tasks, usually to bring breakthrough to the people of God who are in utter stalemate and defeat. Jesus is the one who breaks our stalemate with God. Jesus is the one who is God's anointed, his God's choice. We live in a world full of choice. You can't even go to a sandwich shop these days. It takes 20 minutes to order a sandwich, doesn't it? With all the different options and toppings and all of that. But here's the thing. When it comes to the choices we make, some of you are raising kids and you're you're teaching them. These are the choices you make. When it comes to making choices, we're wise to start with, well, what does God say? What is God's choice? What is the hope for the human race? Where do we find purpose and meaning for our lives? Where do we find salvation? And this verse tells us clearly, Jesus is the one. Here's the second thing. Jesus is the bringer of joy. It says, he came, the Spirit of the Lord was on him, anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news. You might have associated Christianity with being a load of sourpusses, people who don't really seem to have a lot of fun. But the very opposite is true because Jesus came to bring joy. The angels announced his birth and said, glad tidings of great joy we bring to all the people. Everybody can receive joy through the work and person of Jesus. There was a an old advert back in the 1980s for Cupronol, a wood preserver. And it became famous because the, the phrase they used got adopted into the English language because their phrase was this, does exactly what it says on the tin. Jesus does exactly what it says on the tin. He brings joy. And you heard it four times in a row today. Somebody's like, he's changed my life. He's brought joy. He's brought peace and trust where there was anxiety. Jesus brings joy. I was reading... Um, In Acts chapter 16 this week, the story of a Philippian jailer who was about to take his own life because he thought his prisoners had escaped during an earthquake. But two of those prisoners were the Apostle Paul and a companion, and they'd actually stopped everybody running away, and they said, hey, we're here, and they'd shared the gospel with this Philippian jailer. And this is the quote, I'd never seen this before. Acts 16, 34, it says, he was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God. What a testimony. If you believe in God, you find joy. That doesn't mean your life just roses all of the time. Of course it doesn't. We, we face all of the same pains as everybody else, but in the midst of pain and sorrow, we have a joy that nobody can take away because Jesus has saved us. Jesus has forgiven our sins. In eternity, we'll stand with Jesus forever. We will never be judged by him Because he has taken our sins away. That's a cause of great joy. And who does he bring it to? He brings it to the poor. He brings it to the people who are the most vulnerable. He brings it to the people who say, I haven't got anything else in my life of any worth. Yet they receive more than anybody else has because they get Jesus. You might have a little bit of stuff today. You might have a lot of stuff. But Jesus 
can bring you joy. Third thing, Jesus is the bringer of freedom. He sent me to bring freedom for the prisoners, and also he sets the oppressed free. Prisons are places made by human beings for other human beings. We've got one in Edinburgh, in Stockton, we've got a prison. I visit somebody there once in a while. It's a confinement of freedom. It's a confinement of, 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 of expressing who you really are. It's, it's, it's awful. Even going to visit, you're aware that people's activities and movements are limited, but when you see mothers with young children and they're only allowed to see their dad for 20 minutes during the week, and you think, this is, this is a horrible, horrible thing. Prisons are horrible places. Well, Jesus came to bring release for the captives. But you know, you don't need bars on your wall to be in prison. We can be prisoners of anxiety, prisoners of our own shame, prisoners of guilt. We can be prisoners because of bodily confinements that we feel or mental health issues. But Jesus, in the midst of that, can bring freedom. Uh, there was a, a guy who became a Christian in prison called Daryl Tunningley, and he was a rough guy, but he became a Christian. And the very next morning, after he'd become a Christian, he tried to roll up a spliff and smoke it in his cell. And he, he, he tasted it, he said, it just tasted awful to me now. He said, the very thing I loved, he said, it just tasted revolting. And he said, so I threw it out the window. He said, and I threw all my tobacco and my drugs out of the prison window. He said, whoever was on yard duty that day must have had a great time. He said, but I didn't need that stuff anymore. He said, and, and this is the, the, the quote, he said, even though there were bars at my window, I felt freer than I'd ever felt before. Jesus brings true freedom. Here's the fourth thing Jesus does. He brings healing. He's a bringer of healing. He bring, brings recovery of sight to the blind. Literally, he, he opened blind eyes, deaf ears. He raised dead people. Jesus is the healer. Jesus can heal today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can heal now. He can heal you. If you have a, 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 something that you need healing for, we'd love to pray for you because Jesus can do that. If he doesn't do it in this life, he will certainly do it in the next life because here's the thing about God. He's not just interested in your spiritual side. He's interested in everything about you. He knows your body. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. He knows your soul. He knows your spirit. And he's come to heal all of it. Wow. Here's the fifth thing. That Jesus comes to bring God's grace into our lives. It says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Grace means undeserved favor from God. And Jesus is saying, I've come to bring grace. I've come to bring favor into lives of people like you and me. Who don't always feel favored. This phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, it, it, it's, it has a strong connection with another phrase in the Old Testament, which was the Jubilee year of the Lord in ancient Israel. Every 50th year, the, the, the nation of Israel, they had laws given to them by God. And every 50th year, God instigated something which just sounds incredible, even from a modern perspective. Every 50th year, 
If you'd got yourself or your family into debt, then on the 50th year, somebody would blow a trumpet to announce the 50th year had come, and your debts would be cancelled instantaneously. No more overdrafts, no more debts, no more debt collectors. Here's the other thing that happened when that trumpet sounded. That if you'd had to sell your land, which is how you made your income, farming, and all, if you'd had to sell your land to get out of debt, then on the 50th year, that land and whoever you'd sold it to, that land would be returned to you free of charge. Here's the third thing that happened on the, the Jubilee year when that trumpet sounded. That if you'd sold yourself into slavery because you had no other means of surviving, so I'm, I'm just going to work for free for somebody if they'll just provide me for food, then your slavery was cancelled. You were restored back to your home, back to your property, your debts were forgiven, and you are no longer a slave every 50th year in the life of Israel. And it was called the year of the Lord's favor, not surprisingly. Jesus says, This is what I've come to do for everybody. I've to come to forgive their sins, their debts against God. I've come to restore things to how they're meant to be. Sometimes we hanker after the person we wish we were or the person we used to be. But Jesus does something much better. He sets the record straight and he puts us on a clean sheet. You and I were made for relationship with God. Yet along the way, we've got tied up with other things. And God, through Jesus, recalibrates us. He reconciles us with himself. And you know, Jesus did all of these things, all of these five things. The poor people loved him. They received with joy the news he brought them. The blind people saw him. Those who were oppressed by demonic powers were set free. And the year of the Lord's favor, announced through Jesus here, enacted through him on the cross when he said, it is finished, has continued that day and every day in history since then. It's the year of the Lord's favor today. Now, if you're being diligent here today, you might have spotted something. If you're actually looking in Isaiah 61 and checking what Jesus is quoting and how accurate it is, you'll notice something very, very interesting. Do you want to hear it? Good. I'm going to tell you. So, I don't know what I was going to say if you said no there, but anyway. Um, so, Jesus stops the quote halfway through a verse. Isn't that interesting? You thought, why do you do that? The rest of the verse says this. So it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus stops the quote before he talks about judgment. Isn't that fascinating? Now, why does he do that? Is it because Jesus doesn't believe in his own mission? No, the answer is that. As, as people have explored that over centuries, this is what the conclusion is. See, the day of the Lord's favor in the first coming of Jesus, it's all about salvation. It's all about him reaching out to lost human beings who are far away from him and saying, God loves you. He wants to invite you into his family. He's not holding your sins against you. He's not going to judge you if you just respond to him. But one day, when Jesus comes again, he'll judge the living and the dead. Therefore, this day of favor lasts for a season. It lasts this life while we have a chance to respond to him until that day comes when God will hold us 
to account. Therefore, there is an incentive on us to respond to him during the day of his favor upon us. Now, I've talked about this being a song, a servant song. I came across this verse in Ephesians 5, which is just to tie it into baptism in these last few moments. This is thought to be a quote from one of the earliest hymns of the church that they used to sing at baptisms. And I don't know what the tune was. I could try and sing it to you if you like. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's none other than a paraphrase of the very song of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, of him of Christ coming into a life, proclaiming his favor, his life, his love, bringing transformation. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is what they'd sing over people who are new Christians. This is what's happened. This is the transformation. I think that is pretty exciting, Joanna. Now, do you remember the story in Mark 5 when Jesus went to a dead girl's home She was 12 years old and she'd died, and the mourners were already outside. And Jesus said, she's just asleep. And the mourners, slightly uncharacteristically, started laughing. And then he went up to this corpse, and he said these words, which they preserved in Aramaic in the translation, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. This is what Jesus does when he comes to somebody who doesn't know him. He says, it's time to wake up. You might feel like you're a way away from God. You might feel spiritually dead. You might feel that sometimes. Jesus comes and he says, it's time to wake up. And he'll shine his life into our darkness. You know, Jesus came out of the grave so he could come into your life. Got one final picture for you. Uh, if you could put up the painting, please. That's the one. I, I'm not. I, I, I'm not. I don't know loads about art, to be honest. I, I don't understand a lot of art. But this picture, I understand because it's it's easy to understand. It's by a guy called Holman Hunt, and it's actually already been referred to in one of the stories we heard. This is Jesus, and he's knocking at the door of a human heart, and. He's back from the grave, he's got nails in his hands, he's got the crown on his head, he's back from death. Yet he's patiently knocking at the door of a human heart. And somebody said to the painter, don't you love art critics? They said, hey Holman, you've, you've missed the door handle off the outside. And he said, no, no, I didn't miss it. He said, it, this door can only be opened from the inside. I was trying to explain this to my son Ben. He was six years old a couple of years ago. And I showed him the picture and I was going through it and I was trying to coach him and I was trying to get him to understand it. And I said, oh, look, Ben, there's no handle on the door. What, what are we going to do? How's Jesus going to get in? And he, he just didn't bat an eyelid. He said, he's going to have to go to the back door. <laughs> I was like, well, the back door. He says, yeah. He said, said just go around the back. I was like, said, ben, there is no back door. He says, yeah, there's always a back door. Every house has a back door. <laughs> I was like, well... I mean, I didn't want to get into it. I thought, well, hearts don't have doors at all, to be honest. It's a picture. I said to him, Ben, well, it's a picture that we have to say to Jesus, come in. 
If you want Jesus in your life, if you want the resurrected Jesus to come into your life, you have to say, come in, Jesus. And so he and I prayed a prayer that night, and it was as simple as this. He just said, come in, Jesus. And I said, come in, Jesus. And that's a prayer I'd love to invite you to pray today, because Jesus has never heard that prayer and not responded. He comes out of the grave and into your heart when you ask him in. We don't have time uh, to get into the transformation that Jesus brings. You could read the the rest of Isaiah 61 to find out about the comfort and the beauty and the joy and the stability that he brings to our lives. You can read that for yourself. But right now, we're just going to have a moment to say, come in, Jesus, if that's okay. And... I don't know if we could sing just a very short chorus or something to finish, Jaconi. Is that possible or not? It's, I'll let you think for a moment. Um, but if we could put this, this prayer up on the screen, please, um, guys. Here's a prayer that I want to invite you to pray, whether you've been a Christian for years or whether this is all new to you. But this is a prayer that simply says, sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry to God for the stuff we've done that's displeased him. Thanks for the work of dying on a cross and rising to life that he did for you and for me. And to say that final phrase, come in. Please come in. So let's pray, and I'm going to pray this prayer. If you want to make this your prayer, I just want you to encourage you to pray it along in your heart. And I'd love to chat to you afterwards. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to chat with you and just encourage you as you uh, want to continue responding to that.